Section thirty one of Grey's Anatomy, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part one by Henry Grey. The Exterior of the Skull, Part one. The skull as a whole may be viewed from different points, and the views so obtained are termed the normae of the skull. Thus, it may be examined from above, norma verticalis, from below, norma basalis, from the side, norma lateralis, from behind, norma occipitalis, or from the front, norma frontalis. Norma verticalis when viewed from above, the outline presented varies greatly in different skulls. In some it is more or less oval, in others more nearly circular. The surface is traversed by three sutures, viz. 1. The coronal sutures, nearly transverse in direction, between the frontal and parietals. 2. The sagittal sutures, medially placed, between the parietal bones, and deeply serrated in its anterior two-thirds. And 3 the upper part of the lambdoidal suture, between the parietals and the occipital. The point of junction of the sagittal and coronal suture is named the bregma, that of the sagittal and lambdoid sutures, the lambda. They indicate respectively the positions of the anterior and posterior fontanelles in the fetal skull. On either side of the sagittal suture are the parietal eminence and parietal foramen. The latter, however, is frequently absent on one or both sides. The skull is often somewhat flattened in the neighbourhood of the parietal foramina, and the term obelian is applied to that point of the sagittal suture which is on a level with the foramina. In front is the glabella, and on its lateral aspects are the superciliary arches, and above these the frontal eminences. Immediately above the glabella may be seen the remains of the frontal suture. In a small percentage of skulls the suture persists and extends along the middle line to the bregma. Passing backward and upward from the zygomatic processes of the frontal bone are the temporal lines, which mark the upper limits of the temporal fossae. The zygomatic arches may or may not be seen projecting beyond the anterior portion of these lines. Norma basalis The inferior surface of the base of the skull, exclusive of the mandible, is bounded in front by the incisor teeth in the maxillae, behind by the superior nuchal lines of the occipital, and laterally by the alveolar arch, the lower border of the zygomatic bone, the zygomatic arch, and an imaginary line extending from it to the mastoid process and extremity of the superior nuchal line of the occipital. It is formed by the palatine processes of the maxillae and palatine bones, the voma, the pterygoid processes, the undersurfaces of the great wings, spinous processes, and part of the body of the sphenoid, the undersurfaces of the squamae and mastoid and petrous portions of the temporals, and the undersurface of the occipital bone. The anterior part or hard palate projects below the level of the rest of the surface, and is bounded in front and laterally by the alveolar arch containing the sixteen teeth of the maxillae. Immediately behind the incisor teeth is the incisive foramen. In this foramen are two lateral apertures, the openings of the incisive canals, foramina of Stenson, which transmit the anterior branches of the descending palatine vessels and the nasopalatine nerves. Occasionally, two additional canals are present in the incisive foramen. 
They are termed the foramina of scarpa and are situated in the middle line. When present, they transmit the nasopalatine nerves. The vault of the hard palate is concave, uneven, perforated by numerous foramina, marked by depressions for the palatine glands, and traversed by a crucial suture formed by the junction of the four bones of which it is composed. In the young skull a suture may be seen extending on either side from the incisive foramen to the interval between the lateral incisor and canine teeth, and marking off the os incisivum or premaxillary bone. At either posterior angle of the hard palate is the greater palatine foramen, for the transmission of the descending palatine vessels and anterior palatine nerve, and running forward and medialward from it is a groove, for the same vessels and nerve. Behind the posterior palatine foramen is the pyramidal process of the palatine bone, perforated by one or more lesser palatine foramina, and marked by the commencement of a transverse ridge, for the attachment of the tenderness expansion of the tensor veli palatini. Projecting backward from the centre of the posterior border of the hard palate is the posterior nasal spine, for the attachment of the musculus uvulae. Behind and above the hard palate are the coni, measuring about 2.5 cm in their vertical and 1.25 cm in their transverse diameters. They are separated from one another by the vomer, and each is bounded above by the body of the sphenoid, below by the horizontal part of the palatine bone, and laterally by the medial pterygoid plate of the sphenoid. At the superior border of the vomer may be seen the expanded ally of this bone, receiving between them the rostrum of the sphenoid. Near the lateral margins of the ally of the vomer, at the roots of the pterygoid processes, are the pharyngeal canals. The pterygoid process presents near its base the pterygoid canal for the transmission of a nerve and artery. The medial pterygoid plate is long and narrow. On the lateral side of its base is the scaphoid fossa, for the origin of the tensor veli palatini, and at its lower extremity the hamulus, around which the tendon of this muscle turns. The lateral pterygoid plate is broad, its lateral surface forms the medial boundary of the infratemporal fossa, and affords attachment of the pterygoideus externus. Behind the nasal cavities is the basilar portion of the occipital bone, presenting near its centre the pharyngeal tubercle for the attachment of the fibrous raphae of the pharynx, with depressions on either side for the insertions of the rectus capitis anterior and longus capitis. At the base of the lateral pterygoid plate is the foramen ovale, for the transmission of the mandibular nerve, the accessory meningeal artery, and sometimes the lesser superficial petrosal nerve. Behind this are the foramen spinosum, which transmits the middle meningeal vessels, and the prominent spina angularis, sphenoidal spine, which gives attachment to the sphenomandibular ligament and the tensor veli palatini. Lateral to the spina angularis is the mandibular fossa, divided into two parts by the petrotympanic fissure, the anterior portion, concave, smooth, bounded in front by the articular tubercle, serves for the articulation of the condyle of the mandible. The posterior portion, rough and bounded behind by the tympanic part of the temporal, is sometimes occupied by a part of the parotid gland. Emerging from between the laminae of the vaginal process of the tympanic part is the styloid process, and at the base of this process is the stylomastoid foramen for the exit of the facial nerve and entrance of the stylomastoid artery. Lateral to the stylomastoid foramen, between the tympanic part and the mastoid process, is the tympanomastoid fissure, for the auricular branch of the vagus. Upon the medial side of the mastoid process is the mastoid notch, or the posterior belly of the digastricus, and medial to the notch, 
the occipital groove for the occipital artery. At the base of the medial pterygoid plate is a large and somewhat triangular aperture, the foramen lacerum, bounded in front by the great wing of the sphenoid, behind by the apex of the petrous portion of the temporal bone, and medially by the body of the sphenoid and basilar portion of the occipital bone. It presents in front the posterior orifice of the pterygoid canal, behind the aperture of the carotid canal. The lower part of this opening is filled up in the fresh state by a fibrocartilaginous plate, across the upper or cerebral surface of which the internal carotid artery passes. Lateral to this aperture is a groove, the sulcus tubi auditivi, between the petrous part of the temporal and the great wing of the sphenoid. This sulcus is directed lateralward and backward from the root of the medial pterygoid plate and lodges the cartilaginous part of the auditory tube. It is continuous behind with the canal in the temporal bone which forms the bony part of the same tube. At the bottom of this sulcus is a narrow cleft, the petrosphenoidal fissure, which is occupied, in the fresh condition, by a plate of cartilage. Behind this fissure is the undersurface of the petrous portion of the temporal bone, presenting, near its apex, the quadrilateral rough surface, part of which affords attachment to the Levitavelli palatini. Lateral to this surface is the orifice of the carotid canal, and medial to it, the depression leading to the aqueductus cochlei, the former transmitting the internal carotid artery and the carotid plexus of the sympathetic, the latter serving for the passage of a vein from the cochlea. Behind the carotid canal is the jugular foramen, a large aperture formed in front by the petrous portion of the temporal and behind by the occipital. It is generally larger on the right than on the left side, and may be subdivided into three compartments. The anterior compartment transmits the inferior petrosal sinus, the intermediate, the glossopharyngeal, vagus, and accessory nerves, the posterior, the transverse sinus, and some meningeal branches from the occipital and ascending pharyngeal arteries. On the ridge of bone dividing the carotid canal from the jugular foramen is the inferior tympanic canaliculus for the transmission of the tympanic branch of the glossopharyngeal nerve, and on the wall of the jugular foramen, near the root of the styloid process, is the mastoid canaliculus for the passage of the auricular branch of the vagus nerve. Extending forward from the jugular foramen to the foramen lacerum is the petrooccipital fissure, occupied in the fresh state by a plate of cartilage. Behind the basilar portion of the occipital bone is the foramen magnum, bounded laterally by the occipital condyles, the medial sides of which are rough for the attachment of the alar ligaments. Lateral to each condyle is the jugular process which gives attachment to the rectus capitis lateralis muscle and the lateral atlanto-occipital ligament. The foramen magnum transmits the medulla oblongata and its membranes, the accessory nerves, the vertebral arteries, the anterior and posterior spinal arteries, and the ligaments connecting the occipital bone with the axis. The midpoints on the anterior and posterior margins of the foramen magnum are respectively termed the basion and the opistheon. In front of each condyle is the canal for the passage of the hypoglossal nerve and a meningeal artery. Behind each condyle is the condyloid fossa, perforated on one or both sides by the condyloid canal for the transmission of a vein from the transverse sinus. Behind the foramen magnum is the medium neutral line, extending above at the external occipital protuberance, while on either side are the superior and inferior neutral lines. These, as well as the surfaces of the bone between them, are rough for the attachment of the muscles which are enumerated on pages 129 and 130. Norma lateralis. 
when viewed from the side the skull is seen to consist of the cranium above and behind and of the face below and in front the cranium is somewhat ovoid in shape but its contour varies in different cases and depends largely on the length and height of the skull and on the degree of prominence of the superciliary arches and frontal eminences entering into its formation are the frontal the parietal the occipital the temporal and the great wing of the sphenoid these bones are joined to one another and to the zygomatic by the following sutures the zygomaticotemporal between the zygomatic process of the temporal and the temporal process of the zygomatic the zygomaticofrontal uniting the zygomatic bone with the zygomatic process of the frontal the sutures surrounding the great wing of the sphenoid viz the sphenozygomatic in front the sphenofrontal and sphenoparietal above and sphenosquamosal behind the sphenoparietal suture varies in length in different skulls and is absent in those cases where the frontal articulates with the temporal squama the point corresponding with the posterior end of the sphenoparietal suture is named the pterion it is situated about three centimetres behind and a little above the level of the zygomatic process of the frontal bone the squamosal suture arches backward from the pterion and connects the temporal squama with the lower border of the parietal this suture is continuous behind with the short nearly horizontal parietomastoid suture which unites the mastoid process of the temporal with the region of the mastoid angle of the parietal extending from above downward and forward across the cranium are the coronal and lambdoidal sutures the former connects the parietals with the frontal the latter the parietals with the occipital the lambdoidal suture is continuous below with the occipital mastoid suture between the occipital and mastoid portion of the temporal in or near the last suture is the mastoid foramen for the transmission of an emissary vein the point of meeting of the parietomastoid occipitomastoid and lambdoidal sutures is known as the asterion immediately above the orbital margin is the superciliary arch and at a higher level the frontal eminence near the centre of the parietal bone is the parietal eminence posteriorly is the external occipital protuberance from which the superior nuchal line may be followed forward to the mastoid process arching across the side of the cranium are the temporal lines which mark the upper limit of the temporal fossa the temporal fossa fossa temporalis the temporal fossa is bounded above and behind by the temporal lines which extend from the zygomatic process of the frontal bone upward and backward across the frontal and parietal bones and then curve downward and forward to become continuous with the supramastoid crest and the posterior root of the zygomatic arch the point where the upper temporal line cuts the coronal suture is named the stephanion the temporal fossa is bounded in front by the frontal and zygomatic bones an opening on the back of the latter is the zygomaticotemporal foramen laterally the fossa is limited by the zygomatic arch formed by the zygomatic and temporal bones Below, it is separated from the infratemporal fossa by the infratemporal crest on the great wing of the sphenoid, and by a ridge, continuous with this crest, which is carried backward across the temporal squamer to the anterior root of the zygomatic process. In front and below, the fossa communicates with the orbital cavity through the inferior orbital or sphenomaxillary fissure. The floor of the fossa is deeply concave in front and convex behind, and is formed by the zygomatic, frontal, parietal, sphenoid and temporal bones it is traversed by vascular furrows one usually well marked runs upwards above and in front of the external acoustic meatus and lodges the middle temporal artery two others frequently indistinct 
may be observed on the anterior part of the floor, and are for the anterior and posterior deep temporal arteries. The temporal fossa contains the temporalis muscle and its vessels and nerves, together with the zygomaticotemporal nerve. The zygomatic arch is formed by the zygomatic process of the temporal and the temporal process of the zygomatic, the two being united by an oblique suture. The tendon of the temporalis passes medial to the arch to gain insertion into the coronoid process of the mandible. The zygomatic process of the temporal arises by two roots, an anterior, directed inward in front of the mandibular fossa, where it expands to form the articular tubercle, and a posterior, which runs backwards above the external acoustic meatus and is continuous with the supramastoid crest. The upper border of the arch gives attachment to the temporal fascia. The lower border and medial surface give origin to the masseter. Below the posterior root of the zygomatic arch is the elliptical orifice of the external acoustic meatus, bounded in front, below and behind by the tympanic part of the temporal bone. To its outer margin the cartilaginous segment of the external acoustic meatus is attached. The small triangular area between the posterior root of the zygomatic arch and the posterior superior part of the orifice is termed the supramiatal triangle, on the anterior border of which a small spinous process, the supramiatal spine, is sometimes seen. Between the tympanic part and the articular tubercle is the mandibular fossa, divided into two parts by the petrotympanic fissure. The anterior and larger part of the fossa articulates with the condyle of the mandible and is limited behind by the external acoustic meatus. The posterior part sometimes lodges a portion of the parotid gland. The styloid process extends downwards and forward for a variable distance from the lower part of the tympanic part and gives attachment to the styloglossus, stylohyoideus and stylopharyngeus, and to the stylohyoid and stylomandibular ligaments. Projecting downward behind the external acoustic meatus is the mastoid process, to the outer surface of which the sternocleidomastoideus, splenius capitis, and longissimus capitis are attached. End of section number 31